welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. It seemed like a good idea at the time. You ever found yourself thinking that about something that you've done? Whenever we pick up where we left off last week, the story of the man and the woman, you know, Adam and Eve, that after they had eaten the forbidden fruit from the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and even in the Garden of Eden, when they heard God coming, they hid. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> uh, you just kind of find yourself thinking, and just how long did y'all think y'all were going to get away with that? the whole hiding from God thing. It, 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 it just kind of makes me chuckle because you think of uh, leaving a kid in a room with a bowl full of candy and you tell them you've had enough candy, you don't need to eat anymore, and you come back later and you say, I thought I told you not to eat any more candy. And they go, I didn't eat any candy. And they've got the chocolate, you know, all over their face. Or, you know, that moment, <laughs> that glorious moment when suddenly you flip on the light switch, and there's the kid out of bed with their hand in the cookie jar, not knowing what else to do, and, you know, their thought that I'll wait till mom and dad go to bed and I'll get up after dark. <laughs> you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Ever since that episode in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, people have been trying to cover up and somehow get away with their sin. In fact, I want to give you a test. I want you to name the cartoon. One of the most famous cartoons in cartoon history where the frequently repeated tagline is this, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids and their dog. Scooby-Doo, exactly. You know, that, that's what we hear in almost every episode. Or there's even a television show on right now. I haven't watched it. At least I don't think I've ever watched it. And <laughs> the title of the show is I Almost Got Away With It. And I think it's a series about people who have committed crimes that they almost got away with. You know, somebody almost got away with murder. Someone almost got out of defrauding people of hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars. Someone almost got away with a big heist of some kind. The reason I think of this is because if we were to open Bibles to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and in our Bibles you know how it has the headings. It, chapter 11 could say, David almost got away with it. King David. Uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. In the springtime when the kings go out to war. Now this is kind of an interesting statement in and of itself, at least in my warped way of thinking that, you know, they wait till the spring to go to war. You don't dare fight in the winter because you could catch a cold and that might be the death of you. You know, you just, you don't do that. You wait till the spring. And David doesn't go to war. He's not leading his armies. He's not going out against the enemies that he has always gone out and fought against. People have speculated what's going on with David. Is David bored? Is David having a midlife crisis? Something's going on, but David doesn't go. And he's out one evening, and he's walking on the roof of his palace. Now, remember, most of the homes in had a flat roof, and in the evenings, people would go up there and sit in the cool of the evening. And so David's up there, and he has advantage over, you know, that part and portion of his kingdom close to the palace. 
And that's when he sees a woman taking a bath. Immediately, lust fills David's heart. And he sends for the woman and has someone bring her to him. And they have a one-night stand. And David sends her away. And he thinks he gets away with it. Her husband is in the battle. My wife doesn't know. I got away with it. Until a few weeks later, she sends word, I'm pregnant. Now, I realize most of y'all know this story, but my hope is as a church, we're always having people new to faith. And so just please bear with me because maybe not everybody knows this story. Whenever David finds out that uh, he has committed adultery and she is pregnant, this is not good news for the king. He's got to come up with some solution. And he comes up with an idea that uh, it seems like a good idea at the time. He sends for her husband. His name is Uriah. Sends for Uriah to come home because the thought is when Uriah comes home from battle, he wants to go and he wants to be with his wife and they'll have relations. And then when the child is born, they say, well, it's, it's Uriah's son. That's David's plan. What he didn't count on was that Uriah refused to go home. He had this conscience that said, how can I go home and be with my wife when my friends and my brothers are out there fighting a war? That's where I should be. So David's plan fails and he comes up with another plan. And the plan is to send Uriah back to the battle and have him killed. And that's what happened. So now David is not only guilty of adultery, he's also guilty of murder. Bathsheba, the woman, mourns her husband's death, and then she marries King David. And that's the end of, I almost got away with it. Because at the start of chapter 12, we read something else. Now, I'm not going to recount all of chapter 12. I invite you to go do that. But it just so happens there's a prophet in the kingdom, and his name is Nathan. And Nathan comes to King David and traps him in a scenario where David has to now admit his guilt for what he's done. And when Nathan traps David, I, I almost wonder if you, you made one mistake, you tried to cover up with another mistake, are you now going to try to cover it up with a third mistake? I mean, if it's only Nathan and David one-on-one, -on -one, nobody knows what Nathan said. Would David have Nathan killed to keep his secret? But he doesn't do that. He comes clean. And in that character that we find to be consistent about who David is and the giftedness that God has given David, he writes a song. Or shall we say he writes a psalm? to confess his guilt, and to try to get right with God. He knows he can't cover it up forever. And so it is, if we were to read Psalm 51, one of the more famous psalms in the whole book, we see that David is confessing his guilt, and he's trying to get things right with God. And so during the season of Lent, we're going to look at this psalm, a season when we have to look at our lives, confront our sin, and see if we have the same hopes that David have. All we're going to look at today is verse 1 of Psalm 51. I invite you to read this aloud with me. Let's read this together. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Let's read that one more time. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, 
Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So whenever we think of people who almost got away with it, one of the things that we can also think is there are some people that just seem to get away with it. There are some people, when they're guilty, they never come to conviction. It seems like they got away with it. Think of the movie The Shawshank Redemption and how the character Andy Dufresne is able to defraud the prison warden out of all the money that he has stolen, and then he escapes from prison. He goes to Mexico where he lives happily ever after. It seems like Andy Dufresne got away with it after a while. But make no mistake, whatever we have done, whatever sin we have committed, whatever guilt we may have, it may escape the notice of people. It does not escape the notice of God. God is watching. God knows. And God will confront us with our sin. God confronts us with our sin because of his unfailing love and great compassion for us. It's not like God's out to make our lives miserable because of our sin. God is choosing to help us overcome the sin in our lives. We looked last week at the story of the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, and it said if we eat the fruit, we know we're going to die. But the death they died was not a physical death. It was a relational death. The relationship that they enjoyed with God has now been broken. And this is the effect that sin has in our lives. Whenever we sin, even if nobody else knows about it and we think maybe we got away with it, God notices and it damages the relationship that we have with God. Now, personally, when I sin, and it's not a matter of if, <laughs> it's a matter of when, when I sin, I don't want God sending a prophet to tell me that. I don't know about you, but I don't want somebody to say, God spoke to me, and you did A and B and C, because at that moment, I'm going to be dumbfounded, and I'm going to be embarrassed, and I'm probably going to try to cover it up with a lie. You know, I mean, I, I don't want a prophet coming and confronting me with my sin. Whenever it is I sin, and I know that that is separating me from God, I want God to deal with me directly. I want God to deal with me one-on-one -on -one so I can get right with God, because that's who the relationship has damaged the most. And David, when he sins, he doesn't run from it. Busted. Perhaps it even became a moment of great relief for him. I don't have to carry this burden. I don't have to carry this secret anymore. God has confronted me with my sin. I got to get right with God. And so in verse 1 of Psalm 51, the thing that he asked for most, is, or first, is the thing that we probably ask for. Have mercy. God, have mercy on me. I know what my sin deserves, but God, I'm asking mercy. Adam and Eve knew it was going to bring death. They wanted mercy. Beloved, to receive mercy, we must confess our guilt. To receive mercy, we must confess our guilt. That's what we teach our children, isn't it? When our children are small, when they do something wrong, if they've done something to hurt somebody, we teach our children to apologize, right? And what we teach them to say is, I'm sorry, okay? And, and, and that's what works. But, but one of the things that I notice is I don't think God just wants us to say we're sorry. God doesn't just want us to ask for mercy. 
What God wants is to restore this relationship that's being broken. That's why we don't just ask for forgiveness of our sins. We are taught to repent of our sins, to turn away from it, to try to get it right. I'm going to tell you something, and and this may sound mean, and, and you can tell me I'm mean later, but I don't mean it to be mean, but it has to do with how I've taught my kids to do this. Um, when they're small, they do something wrong, they hurt somebody's feelings, they do something they're not supposed to do, I tell them, you're supposed to apologize for that. You're supposed to say you're sorry. And so they grow up knowing when they make a mistake, they have to say, I'm sorry. Now, as a father, I don't confront my kids because I'm out to get them. It is perhaps part of the image of God that resides in us that I want to treat them with unfailing love and great compassion when they have done something. And so after a while, my kids just know, you do something wrong, just say you're sorry. Life is much better if you do it that way. But after a certain age, I don't do that anymore. When they say I'm sorry, and this is a part that might sound mean, I say, what are you sorry for? Are you sorry for what you did? Or are you sorry that you got caught? There's a big difference between the two. If, if we are confronted by God with our sin and we just say, you know, God, I'm sorry, and, and what we're meaning was I thought I could hide from you. I, I thought maybe you wouldn't notice this one. Uh, you know, sorry, God, did mean to embarrass you by what I just did. <laughs> That's not what God desires. God desires our repentance to turn away from that. And what I find is the more specific I will be in my confession of sin, then the stronger the relationship between me and God is. And I practice the same thing with people. I'm, I'm probably not just going to say, I'm go- sorry. I'm going to say, I'm sorry for what I did because I know this is what it did to our relationship, and I'm going to try to never do that again. To receive God's mercy, it begins with confession. It's almost like confession is the hand that receives the mercy that God has a bountiful supply of. So let's take the next step like David did. True confession of sin accepts both the fault and the consequences of what we've done. When I was doing campus ministry, one of the things that I really loved was being able to work with my student interns. And I especially loved working with student interns that felt like they were going to be called to a life of full-time Christian service, either as a pastor or, or in some other way. And I had this one student, um, he, he had grown up in a, a small town, he had never really dated or anything in high school, and he began to date a girl in our ministry, and they seemed to be very happy in the relationship. One day he came in, and you could just tell something was on his mind, he sat in my office and you know, made the small talk while he was garnering the courage to tell me what he wanted to tell me. And then he said, do you mind if we shut the door? Obviously doesn't want anybody to overhear what he's about to tell me. I said, no, that's okay. Go ahead and, and, and shut the door. And he said, you know, we're sexually active. We, we know that it's not God's desire for us to be sexually active, that that's something, a, a gift that God reserves for the marriage of a man and a woman, and, and that, that's not what we're doing. And he goes, I, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know as an intern this reflects not just on me, but it reflects on this ministry And that's not the ethic that we teach or live by. And here's where I really saw some grace in the moment. He said, I will not lose respect for you if you fire me right now. It was not just admitting the fault. 
It was accepting the consequence of whatever he had done. When David admits his fault, when he's asking God for mercy, let's be clear, Bathsheba is still pregnant. The baby doesn't just go away because he's now willing to confront the guilt of his sin and bear the consequences. Oh, beloved, does that not sound like a loving God, though, that loves us so much that he's willing to help us through that, trusting that the strength of God is made perfect, not in our strength, but in our weakness? Whenever we sin, it separates us from God, and what God truly desires is to give us mercy. And when we confess our sin and we're willing to accept the consequences of what we done, have done, we're not blaming someone else. We're not trying to get away with it. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but God, I now know it was a horrible idea. I don't like what it did to my relationship with you. And God, I don't want to choose a relationship with you that leads me to death. I want to choose a relationship with you that leads me to life. One of my uh, bumper sticker theology phrases, a pat answer to something I truly believe is this. We will run out of sin before God runs out of mercy. We will run out of sin and the ability to sin before God runs out of the ability to forgive our sin because God has an endless supply. God in every way is merciful to us. And if you ever needed a way to think about that, if you ever needed a way to remember that, well, that's what we're doing when we come to the Lord's table is we're remembering Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, it's important that I go so that the Holy Spirit comes. It doesn't use the word confront. It says to convict you of your sin, to do that, to draw us back into relationship. But then he says, I, I want you to eat this bread and I want you to drink from this cup because it will remind you that I have paid the penalty for everything you've ever done, both the bad things and the really bad things. And so it is the invitation we give to the Lord's table is this. If you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and you intend to lead a new life following the commands of God, then draw near by faith and receive this sacrament to yourself.